0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, the podcast that's digging into the digital revolution and the remarkable changes it is having on every aspect of our lives. One of the people who offers some wonderful insights on this for business people of all stripes is Wayne Saden, who is a former CEO, CTO, CDO, who then was a highly successful consultant and is now back as a full-time CIO. Wayne, good to see you. Always good to see you, Bob. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Wayne, you have um, been around this business for a while as a CEO, as an advisor to boards and to CEOs. Um, You've seen waves of technology come and go. You've seen the the hype get cranked up and all. Um, There's no doubt that this latest wave of stuff, there's some pretty incredible capabilities, but sometimes is it human nature, Wayne, that tends to get us a little overly uh, cranked up on... (laughs) oh it's the greatest thing you know you can't live without it uh, you, you gotta have this i don't mean to be
1: cynical but isn't that marketing's job to get people <laughs> excited about whatever it is everybody wants to hear about
0: yeah i think that's uh very much yesterday's marketing job and if people are still approaching it <laughs> that way uh they better jump into the 21st century that's not going to go so well um Wayne, I do have to say, are you by any chance a fan of the uh, singer Tom Waits? Yes, I, I know Tom Waits' music. Tom Waits had a song 35, 40 years ago called Step Right Up. And I think you play this song. He is, uh, he is living out maybe some of the ideas you have here because he was talking about how the thing at the time was, you know, marketing whether it's soap or cigarettes or dishwashing liquid or deodorant, whatever it was, there was all being pitched to say, hey, this'll do everything. You know, it'll trim your hips. It'll clip your toenails. It'll make your car go fast. It'll make you live longer. You'll look better. It just, so uh, it is a great song. And I do think of this sometimes Wayne, when, um, we're able to set aside for a moment our enthusiasm and excitement for the remarkable potential of some new technologies, but actually say, okay, okay, okay. The potential is over here. What about right here, right now? What are we doing to help my business run better for you at Price Smart? So uh, Wayne, let me pass it over to you and share some of your hard earned and always deep and compelling insights.
1: Well, you know, Bob, for me, it's the latest trend is we've got cloud Specifically, SaaS, since this is Cloud Wars, we can be specific. We have software as a service, and then we have Gen AI. And lately, what I'm seeing is everybody uses the term SaaS to describe anything that has anything remotely to do with the cloud. And the same with AI. Everything has to be AI infused, and particularly Gen AI infused. So, yeah. you know, the generic term for this is AI washing or cloud washing. And I was at the NRF, the National Retail uh, Foundation, and uh, sorry, Federation. And this is the big retail show. I'm new to the retail industry. I spent three days in New York walking around the Javits Center, talking to dozens, maybe even more, worth of vendors selling into the retail industry. And everybody wanted to tell me their product was SaaS. We have a SaaS product. Now, look, I'm a CIO. A lot of the people there were CIOs. And so we're not supposed to be technical, are we? We're just supposed to be able to manage the budget and manage our people. So maybe we can be forgiven for mistaking cloud for SaaS. I hope not. But the vendors there were telling me that everything was SaaS. So Bob, here's the way I see it. Just because I run in Amazon's or Microsoft or Google's data center, does it make it software as a service? As a CIO I have to be able to distinguish yes we have it in the cloud and we run it in the architectural principle called software as a service and it, it makes a big difference um so I had more vendors tell me oh yeah we run saas we run your own instance of it we, we have it hosted over at amazon or google or or microsoft uh, nobody at oracle that I ran into but but they'll tell me that that means they got some servers at aws that they're paying for. And one of their people watches the servers. So we've taken the servers, picked it up out of the back room, maybe picked it up out of the colo. And now it's just a virtual instance running in one of the big cloud providers. That's infrastructure as a service or add some tools around it. It's platform as a service. But as a CIO, I think I have to be able to tell the difference between that and the true SaaS model.
0: And Wayne, what's the big danger of Getting that wrong or not being able to distinguish what really is SaaS and what isn't. So, well,
1: I think, and you've heard me say this over the years, we've been doing this like five years. SaaS is a paradigm shift in the way IT is consumed by the IT department and by the business. So, in the old days, we got software. Remember, it used to come on tapes, it came in a box and on a mag tape, and you mount it on your mainframe and run the software in and install it. Spend a week or a month or a year installing the software. And then they'd send out a patch release, you know, every quarter you'd get another tape. And then of course they improved it to a diskette and then eventually started transmitting it to us. And now it's a file, but it's the same thing. We would have a release that took a long time to put in. It'd be built out of chunks of code that we'd have to pull apart and put together a different way. And as a CIO, I was expecting to put in periodic releases every year, every 18 months, they'd send me a release in a lot of companies. They would ignore that release. Oh, we're going to skip that. Make sure it gets baked better. So we'll wait another release. Now we'll be a release behind. Oh, this has been a bad year. So now we'll be two releases behind. Now it's two releases behind and the third one comes out, man, that's a lot of work. Let's just put it off until we have more time. And what you wind up with is a spiral of let's put it off until the problem gets so big that we get afraid of it. And then we create the phenomenon called technical debt. And so many IT shops are living in an environment where core software is many releases old. Now, does that hurt the software company? No, they put the money into building the new release. If you're Oracle or you're SAP or any of the companies, you're still doing the work. And you send me that that tape or that file now. But if I don't put it in as a CIO, what I've done is I've thrown my company's money away because I'm paying some fraction of the cost of the traditional software. It was 20, 25% was the list price every year for bug fixes, support, and new features. And then most companies, many companies were not putting in the new features. With SaaS, the model has changed. It's not just, we got the server in the cloud and you still have the old broken way. So what SaaS does, first of all, is build one instance. I've got how many people running Microsoft Teams, for example, and they're running essentially on a single instance, maybe on a... 100 million servers, but there's not a copy of Teams for me and a copy of Teams for acceleration economy. We all share the same code base, which means it is designed from the beginning to scale automatically. Mm-hmm. There's, I promise not somebody in Microsoft going, let's add a server here. Let's slow that server down over there, You know, because they have a billion servers. It's done by the computer. It's done in an automatic way with a lot of intelligence. And these companies invest a lot of money in building the control plane so that scaling up, scaling down, moving from data center to data center is relatively untouched by human hands and very, very, very efficient because when you're running a hundred million or a billion of something, you better be very good at running each of them very well. So that means me as a CIO, I'm not depending on a, a person at my vendor adjusting the knobs on the software. Mm -hmm. And that's what you hear. I went to the the trade show and they go, oh yeah, we run, we run you in a private instance and this is good for you because we just get the right number of servers. Unless the person adjusting the servers is in the dentist chair, getting a root canal. And I got busy season and they're getting a root canal and nobody turns the little knob (laughs) and the server falls over. So that's the first thing is it auto tunes one instance. The other one is they've run this stuff at scale. You know, I work in some medium-sized companies, $5 billion, $10 billion, $20 billion in sales. Look at Microsoft, a $3 trillion company. Their scale is way up here, yeah, and they're really good at running at scale, as are the other cloud providers. So everything they've done is around automated testing, automated patching, automated improvements. When I go to make a software release, I spend days or weeks planning it and putting it in, doing the testing. This modern world called CI CD, continuous integration, continuous deployment, means that when something is ready to go, the developers go here, they do an automated test, passes that, goes to the next level of automated test, goes into a pre-staged environment, automated test, and then slides right in. Uh-huh. So how many patches does Google make or Microsoft make or Oracle make every day on their cloud environments? The answer could be hundreds or thousands. Do I notice most of them? No. Some of them I notice because they change a the screen or they change a feature or they add a new option, but the vast majority of them are done for me magically. In the old world of package software and in the fake cloud environment, that work still goes back to the CIO, back to the IT department. There's no reason to do it that way. We can be getting, letting the vendor do the work for us, installing it in the cloud that they host, making sure that it's compatible with all that stuff and solving many of these problems for us. So those are some of the things that you get with SaaS. You get constant stream of updates. So now the money you're paying, and remember in SaaS I'm paying a monthly license fee, annual license fee, instead of a big chunk of money up front, and then X percent per year. My users get the benefit of those updates. When Microsoft or Oracle or Google or Amazon puts out a new feature, it is right there on a screen available for me to click a button and turn on, make available to my company, make available to my users. Again, look at any of the commercial products, the apps on your phone. You'll see that every day, 5% of your phone gets updated. Yeah. new features. Some of them you may not notice. You don't care. I only use the app to schedule restaurants, so I don't care that they added a feature for babysitting. But if babysitting is something that matters, I go, wow, I got a great babysitting interface. Turn it on. Uh Ditto whether it's planning software, ERP software, CRM software. I may not need something. But if I do, I have it right there at my fingertips. I, as a CIO, can say to the business, or the business come back to me and say, would you turn on that babysitting feature, equivalent Mm -hmm. for CRM or CDP? And that's what SaaS gives us. It's a fundamental shift in how software is delivered to my customers through a channel called the cloud. And that means that in 2024, we we don't have time to wait for IT to go figure out how that piece of software is gonna interact with that router and that server and that release of the operating system and put it all together and I'll be a year or two behind or 10 years or 20 years behind. And so real SaaS, what you talk about in Cloud Wars, what Acceleration Economy tries to teach people is that the fundamental way of building software applications empowers the end user and therefore empowers the CIO to deliver new features. And if you're not doing that, you're really shortchanging the company.
0: You know, Wayne, one other thing I'd love to get your perspective on related to that, right? So you've, you offered a very uh, clear and, uh, you know, valuable distinction between, you know, these hosted things. I, I, I think today, right? The concern that every company has to have data has always been important, but it's so important now. And if the other approach, right, the fake SaaS makes it more difficult for companies to aggregate and manage their data and keep track of it, then that's just going to put them farther and farther behind where some of the new SaaS things, it's not perfect, but part of the intention of all those updates is to ensure that companies can use this you know their most valuable asset easily and and appropriately.
1: Well, first of all, I'll tell you that what I tell the board of directors of my company and tell our users, I am on purpose not a CTO. I am the CIO. My job is information, not technology. The technology can be magic. I got to worry about information turning rough, ugly, out of time, bad, uh, imprecise data into useful, consumable, yeah. secure information. And so. SAS doesn't magically solve that problem, but in order to make the SAS environment work, the vendor has to provide a good data model. Yeah. So I've got to put a data lake house, or at least a, a data lake underneath my application. So whether it's Microsoft and their fabric, Oracle has the equivalent, AWS has their selection of databases, I get a database architecture and an application architecture that typically come to me together. And I can live within that space, I'm a customer of one of the big cloud companies, their databases may be fine. Or I can connect that to a generic database, a Snowflake, and say, I want to consume data from this application, this one, and this one, and bring them into, again, another SaaS application, Mm -hmm. let's say Snowflake or ServiceNow, and say, I've got all these things working in concert. So if the data changes in my ERP, and I've got ServiceNow or Snowflake, because the vendors talk to each other, when there's an upgrade here, I trust generally they will be an upgrade here and they'll take care of the heavy lifting of connecting the dots. Yeah. So being part of a SaaS ecosystem, whether it's from a vendor like a Microsoft or or a, an, an Oracle where they provide everything from the bottom layer to the top layer, or being being able to work in an ecosystem that's across the products, the vendors are doing a lot of the work that in the old days I would have to do with. We used to call it ETL, now right. it's called ELT, extract, load, transform. The vendors, if you're buying from their store, if you will, do the work of plugging it together. So again, another way that the SaaS architecture yeah. saves me, the CIO, from being in the being in the coding business and I'm more in the integration and planning business. Yeah. And so Bob, if I can get the data right and I can get the data where I want it and I can get the data where I want it securely, I've now solved three problems that really bedevil organizations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Wayne, I I know you have some thoughts now. So you've described this with cloud and why it isn't just the terminology, but what the terminology represents and so much innovation, simplicity, speed. And as you just mentioned, that ability to focus for CIOs and their teams on the things that really matter. Um, So I know you had some thoughts about this as well when it comes to AI. And, you know, oh, everything's A, everything's Gen AI. but But um, sort of to set that up and why it's important, you know, to get this done right, I know on Microsoft's last earnings call, you know, week, 10 days ago, um, Satya Nadella said that Azure had a big jump in uh, the revenue performance in the quarter. And he said six points of the 30% increase in Azure revenue was from AI. So... It is in some cases, it is now moving very rapidly from the thing of, oh, it's a cool idea, let's plan, let's figure it out, to where, you know, there are some businesses really making a lot of hay with this and getting it done right. So I think your emphasis here on what you're going to talk about with AI and all, it isn't just, uh, again, a matter of, you know, let's get our terms right. The terms represent something that's so important and can have, you know, an incredible impact positive or negative, depending on how, you know, the d- d- peers you're speaking to approach that?
1: Well, first of all, when you look at somebody's revenue jump, bear in mind that that doesn't mean everybody is getting long-term value out of it. It means it's hyped up and therefore everybody's trying. It. So if Microsoft is charging for their uh, co-pilot a fee, a $20 a month fee, let's say, and everybody signed up for the $20 times a 100 million users, that's a revenue bump. That does not mean that over the long-term, everybody's getting their $20 value. It means we're all excited about it. We all want to try the shiny new object. So let's not take a short-term revenue bump and decide that's now a trend. Um, AI has had several booms and busts in the cycle as it's gone on. Not to say there's not a lot of value in generative AI, large language model AI. And, And another thing it does with the emphasis on AI even if gen AI only solves one set of problems, it's got a lot of people thinking, how can I use other parts of AI? For example, machine learning in what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. So my concern is that everybody is now labeled everything, something AI. So we're just like we were SaaS washing our apps. We're also AI washing our apps. Uh If I have an algorithm an algorithm being essentially a formula that you can use for planning i'm going to use it to plan sales for next next quarter where's the line between it's a formula and it's ai Mm -hmm. if i was an ai scientist which i'm not i would probably be able to say yeah that algorithm probably is ai-ish or that language or that construct makes it ai but if it's just uh satisficing linear programming it figures out where I am on the what they call the efficient frontier of a problem solution. That's not AI. We've been doing that for decades. There's an algorithm for that. Now, if I have a tool that figures out in linear programming, here's where I am on the efficient frontier, and I can push it a little bit more by trying 50 different models, now maybe I've got some machine learning in there, and that's better than a human being could do by saying, I'm gonna use that formula or that formula. I'm working with a, with a vendor, Relex, that has machine learning. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about it, it's not gen AI, it's machine learning. It says, here's our forecast. Hey, if we had forecast using this formula, it would have been more accurate. So let's try using that formula next month. And next month it says, you know, that was more accurate, but I think this one could be more accurate. Mm-hmm. And so it's gonna kind of learn in different parts of my business, in different countries, and different product lines, maybe there are different formulas that are appropriate for each kind of product. Uh-huh. A human being could do it by trying 50 different formulas, but a machine learning program will try them all and say which one was best last month. So yeah. let's try it another month. More work than a human being can logically do times 100,000 products, let's say. But the tool, the AI tool, can improve the forecast that way. There was no Gen AI in that discussion. But yet, before we were investing in this, companies had to struggle to get their message out. Why is machine learning a good thing? So in one sense, by saying AI infused, people go, oh, that might be worth more money. But we got to be careful and not think Gen AI is the only AI and not think all AI is always better than no AI and that it's worth the money. Um, you know, Microsoft's $10 billion investment in AI, I thought to myself, what are they investing in? People? What, are they going to hire 100,000 people? The $10 billion, as far as I can tell, is compute time. Yes. Because the cost of Gen AI queries is very high. You know, Bob, we had another discussion recently, and we talked about the fact that some of these cloud vendors that I use are starting to jack the prices way up high because they're starting to see their costs go up way high. Mm-hmm. And I think what's going to happen is I, I, I warn everybody, especially in the Gen AI world, until we know the cost of that query, and we really, the vendor has given it back to me as a real number, there's going to be sticker shock. Here's my prediction, because I've seen it in uh, low code. I've seen it in BI personally. We're going to see sticker shock. We're going to have somebody give everybody a loss leader on, some gen ai thing we're going to all get hooked on it now they're going to say now the real cost of that isn't 20 bucks a month it's 200 a month but now you've uh, gotten addicted so in in that sense it is a a low-cost way to get us addicted to a high-priced product so i warn everybody if you're a cio and you see the words ai understand what it is you're getting and how it's different than not ai and buy carefully so my message for the business is, in 2024, you cannot have a CIO that doesn't understand how SaaS is different than cloud. You can't have a CIO that knows that doesn't know how AI is different than ML is different than Gen AI, and when to make the investments in the different pieces of technology.
0: Wayne, probably in a parallel way, these days you 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 have to have a CIO who understands, you know, your uh top tier customers and what they want and need versus, you know, some others and, uh, you know, the, the hiring practices of the company. So that, that I think, you know, the larger point you're making here is this is the latest sort of spiky thing that's come up at CIOs have to be able to handle business issues, customer issues, technology issues with their teams, and get through all this stuff, as you said, to be able to provide and deliver this, you know, world-class, timely, relevant, insightful, valuable information across the board here, right? And nobody's saying it's easy and maybe it's not fair these days. There's so many come, but that's the job, right?
1: Yeah. I've said for a long time, Bob, that as a CIO, we the CIO and the CFO are the only organ, only people in the organization that see across yeah. the company. Think about it. Everybody manages vertically. Here's sales, here's marketing, here's manufacturing, here's logistics, here's whatever. But the CFO has to see the financial flow across the company. And the CIO has to see the process flow and the financial flow across the company. So that's the first thing. The second thing, so go look on my LinkedIn profile. The first thing you'll see in my LinkedIn and Twitter is the things the CIO must be able to do. Uh I've got to be able to call on a customer and be able to have an intelligent conversation with the customer about what the company's doing. I need to be able to talk to the Wall Street analysts. How does the company's strategy fit into the industry strategy and then how do I support that? I spent the last basically two weeks with board members talking about IT and how it ties into the company strategy. And if you're not able to have a coherent conversation with customers, with analysts, with people on the factory floor, with your board members, you're not an effective CIO. And I've maintained this for many, many years. But people think because so much stuff is in the cloud and other people do it for us, that as a CIO, you now can give up the technical stuff. I maintain you can't because otherwise you become the victim of washing, yes. whether it's fast washing or AI washing or Internet washing or maybe it's optical, you know, VR, AR washing next, right. next year. Mm-hmm. And you got to be BS proof. So the sales people and the marketing people don't overwhelm you with their, what did you say? It's a breath mint, it's a candy mint, it shines your shoes and cleans your floors. Um, we can't fall for that or we're going to make poor investments of our company's hard-earned money.
0: Very well said, my friend, with a, a nice twist there at the end. So you're not, it's, you're not against washing in general and general hygiene, but it's this tech type stuff around cloud washing, SaaS washing, air washing. Good stuff, Wayne, as always. Uh, and thanks again. I just want to mention to everybody. Wayne has done, you know, so many different interesting things. His career is now really, really cool company, price smart. So Wayne's in the retail field, but still is able to draw on experiences and ideas from, you know, across a lot of industries. And as Wayne said, it's been about five years. Um, probably our longest running, most beloved, most wonderful, most terrific guest ever, Wayne. That's you.
1: The checks in the mail, Bob.
0: <laughs> perfect hey wayne thanks a lot good to see you take care all right folks thanks for to all of you for being with us here at cloud wars live we hope things are going great for you here at the beginning of 2024 and we'll see you again soon